Wow, we have, so here's one of the things about this church you have to know, and this is true of most every church in this area, but um, churches in this area have grown to specialize in sending people out because of the mass exodus away from California. It is a regular normal thing for people to regularly leave churches. And what's amazing is God always backfills it with lots of other people. We have lots of people moving into the area all the time as well. Um, But right now, from my vantage point, I am seeing something that some of you may not see. And that is, first of all, um, Kelly and Zach, just raise your hand really quick. I won't embarrass you. But Kelly and Zach, um, they are here from the Pacific Northwest. So blame the rain on them. Uh, they evidently brought it with them like weeks and weeks early because they just showed up, I think, yesterday or something. Uh, but anyway, super good to see you. Um, Kelly was on staff here with us, and she was one of those people that like when you send them out, you're like, Lord, how are you going to backfill? And, and he does. He just brings incredible other people. And so super good to see you guys. And then one of the coolest things um, about this church that I like to tell people about is God married um, English speakers and Spanish speakers at this church. Kind of in, in one church family, he married English and Spanish speakers together. And, um, and years into that, we had our first wedding of people, of, and not people, it was like a group wedding. We don't do that. It was an individual wedding between someone from our Spanish-speaking part of our church family and someone from our English-speaking part of our church family. And their names are Jonathan and Liz. And they're sitting right over here. And they are, they are normally down in Hollister. And I've been trying to get them up here to lead us in song someday. So they're going to lead us in worship someday just because we missed them. But really cool seeing you guys. So anyway... All the rest of you are special. I love you. Welcome. Good to see you. But I tell you, if you want to get an extra warm welcome at church, just go away for months or years and come back. It's the truth. That's how you get like special hugs and and attention. And Kelly loves being called out in church like this. She loves the attention. (laughs) Kidding. Acts chapter one. That's where I want you to turn your Bibles right now. If you don't own a Bible, there should be a Bible sitting in the seat right in front of you. It is yours free. It would be our great joy to give you the Bible and let it be yours to keep. You can mark it up. You can write in it. Um, you can turn pages. Two of my kids got Bibles for Christmas, and it's been so fun uh, to be teaching them. Like uh, Much of my time, honestly, is just digital. So if you're digital, that's good. I'm, I'm with you. Scroll to it. Get to Acts chapter 1. Um, but our kids have really been enjoying finding passages in Scripture and turning their, to their Bibles. Um, that is a fun thing to do. We'll get there in a moment. Um, I want to tell you about my dad. One of the things I loved to do with my dad was ride bikes together. He was a bike rider, and it was something that we were able to do together. We were on a bike ride. um, Actually, from this church, we would leave this church once a year near Cinco de Mayo, and we would ride our bikes as a group up to Mount Hamilton. And then we would ride back down Mount Hamilton and end up back at this church. And that ride had a very specific purpose for a guy at our church named John Garza. He kind of led this organized ride. Well, my dad was with me on one of these rides. And uh, very uncharacteristic of my dad, uh, he was going to ride part way. He wasn't going to do all of it. Um, but, but he turned around. He, he pulled off. And, um, and I pulled off with him. And I said, Dad, what's up? And he said, you know what? I'm going to have you go on. I said, okay. I said, everything okay? He said, you know, I just don't feel right. I said, okay. And that was really odd. It was really odd for dad to not feel right. Physically, he was obviously in good shape, so he was riding a bike. And that moment, as we trace it back, that was the moment that actually prompted a scan, and the initial scan missed it. But when you trace the story forward, I think it was maybe 18 months from that point that we lost my dad. 
Now, he's been found by Christ, so my dad is doing amazing today. He's doing unbelievably well today. But that was the moment, as I trace it back, I go, wow, when we look back on that scan, the doctors missed it, but now that we know where the cancer cells began to grow, it was at that spot that was on that scan that was missed that day. The very early, early warning signs of that was that bike ride. There was a woman who had a long day at work, and she was just trying to get home from a long day at work. And on this particular day, she decided she was not going to give up her seat on the bus because a white person wanted to come and sit in her seat. Her name was Rosa Parks. You may have heard of her before. It was that instant that civil rights leaders in that area began to organize what was called the Montgomery Bus Boycott. You've heard of it. And really, as we trace the civil rights movement from the 60s, it was a long struggle, so it didn't begin in the 60s, but when we trace some things back, we could go back to that kind of a moment on that kind of a day with that decision being made that led to some incredible change that went on. It sparked incredible transition. I'm going to have, you bra- have your brain just sort of think about transitions for a moment. Whether in personal history or in national history, transitions are very, very hard to distinguish when you're starting them. You don't really understand what's happening. When you live through it day at a time, that's how human beings live, right? We live day at a time. You don't even understand while it's happening All of the significance. In fact, it's impossible to see the impact of what's going on right at this moment. That was true of my bike ride with my dad. Hey, better get that checked out, dad. Had no idea that that started a little countdown timer. No idea Rosa Parks would play the significant role and that we'd be talking about her in church decades later. And yet here we are about to celebrate Martin Luther King Day on Monday because of some of the things that took place in that moment. Transitions take us from having parents here on earth to not having parents here on earth. Here's something else. They take us from not having children to having children. Some of you women could probably think back and go, wow, I thought I just had a little bit of nausea. I thought thought something just felt a little off. I thought I was a tiny bit late. I wasn't sure all that was happening, but a transition was taking place in that moment. Transitions move us from self-reliance to God-reliance. Most transitions, if you think about it, are almost always uncomfortable and are scary. That's just true of change. Change is like that. Transitions are, happen because God graciously meets us where we are, and he moves us to where we need to be. And sometimes it rocks our world, and sometimes it changes the world. And I'm talking all about all of this because it's going to relate back to Acts. We just celebrated Christmas. Think about what Christmas is. Christmas is celebrating the transition of not having God walk the earth in a human body to having had God visited the earth in a human body. That's what we celebrated at Christmas time. And it's kind of interesting because there are little flashes of brilliance. There's literally a flash of brilliance with a star. But then not much happens after a while. There's conflict, there's change, but no one could possibly really understand all that was taking place in those weeks and months until about 30 years later. That's when Jesus begins his public ministry. And for roughly three and a half years or so, 
we get another glimpse of a massive transition happening. That while it's taking place, the people who are living and experiencing that transition can't begin to fathom all that is happening in their midst at that moment. In just three years, the planet is moved forward in unalterable ways. Things will never, ever, ever be the same for any human being post-resurrection of Jesus Christ. By the way, if you're newish to the story, the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those represent four biographies of Jesus Christ. They tell the story of how he arrived, what he was up to, why and how he died, and that he rose again. So that's sort of the Gospels. That's what's happening with that. The book of Acts that you have just turned to that we're about to begin is what happens after the close of the Gospels. What happens after Jesus returns to heaven? That's what the book of Acts is. And where the Gospels cover primarily three and a half years, the book of Acts covers three decades, about 30 years between the beginning of Acts and the end of Acts. So as we sort of walk into this new book, keep that in mind, that about 30 years are being talked about. And these 30 years, what goes on in these 30 years is still rocking our world. It is still changing my life every single day because of the things that went on during this transition. So that leads my brain to think about this. If God can accomplish X in a matter of weeks around Christmas time, another X, X representing just giant world change in three and a half years of Jesus' ministry. And then in 30 years of ministry with regular disciples of Jesus, just like us and the Spirit of God present, what might he be doing right now? I mean, what might he be doing right now, right inside of me, right inside of this church, right inside of this city or county or nation? Maybe there are things going on. Maybe there are transitions happening that God is doing, that people, should the Lord not come back, decades from now, will think back and go, wow, a transition was happening. Again, remember, those living through it, very few are, are able to sort of grasp that. So, but just getting in tune with that and thinking about, God, what might you be doing? Here's a part of what Sundays are for, by the way. A part of what Sundays are for is just um, to, to lean in and pay attention to say, just God, what are you doing? Not just with me, not just with my personal problems or my peaks and valleys from this last week, but what are you up to? I'm here. I'm paying attention. The cost is my time and my presence, and we joyfully sacrifice it. We come and say there's nothing else like like leaning in and just stopping the rest of life so we can be paying attention to, to, to rest in who God is, what he's doing, to realign my brain with the fact that, God, you are building your church and you never fail. You've said it's going to go on forever, and you don't lie. So I'm here to, to realign myself with that reality. So here's what I want to cover this morning. I want to talk about three giant transitions that happen in the book of Acts. And we're not going to see them all in these opening verses. But we're going to see them as we sort of walk through. But it sort of helps set up our brain to sort of think through these things. So again, transitions are God graciously meeting us where we are at and taking us to where we need to be. That happens individually, but it also happens corporately. It happens with a group of people. And we see that, we see both of those happening in Acts. Acts is a really beautiful tale of just individual people and individual households moving from death, spiritual death, to spiritual 
life, spiritual blindness to spiritual sight. But we also see groups of people. Matt laid out Acts 2. The end of Acts 2 is a really beautiful picture of how groups of people come together and are individually transitioned from where they are to where they need to be. Remember that transitions are uncomfortable and scary. So I just want to tell you at the start of this, I really believe the book of Acts is going to be an uncomfortable series for our church. I think it's going to be uncomfortable for the pastors and teachers who are, who are preaching this and, and, and teaching this. And that's okay. I've been really praying for months, God, would you, would you take me, take our church from where we are and graciously move us to where we need to be? So that's sort of the journey we're on. Um, I had someone thank me this morning for, for fill-ins. He's like, thank you for the fill-ins. And I said, listen, it matters that you give me feedback. Because sometimes if I give a handout, um, some of you love no fill-ins. Because you're like, don't tell me what to write. I want to write what I want to write. Bless you. Ignore the fill-ins. But some of you are like, tell me what to write. Just tell me. I don't, don't get cute with me. Just tell me what to write. You're going to get some fill-ins today. So it was kind of neat to hear this person say, yeah, thanks for the fill-ins. So number one, if you're writing fill-ins and you enjoy writing fill-ins, write this word down. Number one, these are three transitions that go on, that happen in the book of Acts. Number one is God's presence. In the Old Testament, God's presence was primarily where? Tell me. Huh? The temple. That's right. And if you track the story from Genesis forward, it doesn't start in the temple, but God eventually has his people build a physical place that you go to, and that was where the presence of God resided, right? So that's sort of the old. And what God does is he doesn't, he doesn't just do away with the old, like just, well, forget all that, crinkle it up, throw it away. That's how my old often is. I made a mistake, I've got a new, better plan over here. He actually sort of incorporates and encapsulates the old and folds it into the new in some really spectacular ways. That say, wow, he actually knew what he was doing back then. He didn't make a mistake and then change. He sort of, he sort of launched the story forward. And that's what goes on in the book of Acts. So if the old, the temple was a physical place, it was, it was concrete, it was clear, it was knowable, even then, God raised up prophets, mouthpieces of God, that were predicting and proclaiming that a new and better way was going to someday happen about the presence of God. That was going on even as they were commanded to come to temple to meet with God. John chapter 2, I told you to be in Acts chapter 1. If you know where John is, go there. If not, just turn two books to the left earlier. John chapter 2. Let me just set it up. Jesus, this is where Jesus clears the temple. It's one of the few recorded places we have where Jesus uh, gets pretty angry, very angry, and he forms a whip and he drives out money changers. So he's cleaning house. Why is Jesus so uptight? Because the temple of God, the meeting place of God, the house of God was being used by greedy people to make money off of worshipers. That still goes on. In the name of religion, in the name of God, in the name of the Christian God of the Bible, people use that to make money off of worshipers. Whew, that's scary. If you read the Bible, you just go, I should never do that, because that's just a really scary thing. So, Jesus is cleaning house, and he's throwing the bums out. That's what's going on. It's a huge disruptive scene. John chapter 2, verse 18, follow along with me. It says, so the Jews said to him, 
after he does these things. What sign do you show us for doing these things? What things? For cleaning house. For turning over money tables and to get the heck out of here. That's what. Jesus answered them. Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said to him, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days. Look at verse 21. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Hindsight, a transition was going on. Even within that transition, the disciples were able to have some some hindsight and go, oh, that's what he was talking about. Jesus ushered in the change. Catch this, people. Bodies are now the temple of God. I, we hear that as, I, I was raised in the church, so I hear that, I go, yeah, of course, I've known that. But that is so utterly remarkable that bodies now are the dwelling place of Almighty God. By the way, we didn't welcome you to worship this morning. You woke up and the creation welcomed you to worship. You know what's been going all night long while you've slept? Worship. Seraphim and angels and angelic beings that if you saw them in person, you would fall to your face as if dead out of fear have been calling out the glories and worthiness of God around his throne. His cre- we just join in creation in worshiping God. So when we add our voice Sundays at 10-ish, that's what's happening. We're just joining in with something that's already going on. So bodies are now the temple of God. We are his dwelling place. This is remarkable. This thing that used to you know, house the presence of God primarily is now mobile in each of us wherever we go. And that's a really powerful thing. No longer are we going somewhere to meet with God. The truth is he comes to us and meets with us. He's available everywhere all the time. So this is a key transition that's happening in the book of Acts. Watch for it. Number two, write down power and personality. Power and personality. There's a transition in how God's power and personality are manifest. Manifest is a fancy word for being shown. So God shows off his power and who he is in a significantly sort of shifted way in the book of Acts. Now, God is three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's the triune God of the Bible. It's really incredible. I remember being in Addis Ababa, the capital of Ethiopia, and our taxi driver was a Christian. His name was Haile, and I've talked about Haile before, but we just had an incredible time for a couple of weeks driving around the streets of Ethiopia, and he had never left his capital city. He was born and raised there. He was probably about 10 years my senior. And as we talked about the scriptures and talked about what God was doing and all these different things, I have a Bible degree from the U.S., have been born and raised in the Bay Area, never set foot on the African continent. I meet this brother in Christ, and as we talk, do you know what comes out of his mouth? The doctrine of the Trinity. He completely understands God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Let me rephrase that. He does not completely understand that. Because neither do I. That's mysterious. 
So we use things like the three forms of water, steam, liquid, ice, to sort of say that's all water, but it's three different forms. But, but anything we use to try to get our heads around it, it falls incredibly short. But here's the point. A world away with no formal education whatsoever, aside from the Spirit of God and the Scriptures of God, totally gets the doctrine of the Trinity. So what we see, this transition that goes on in the book of Acts, is that the power and personality of God is now shown in the Holy Spirit in a unique way. If you were to take the central figure of the Gospels, you would say it's Jesus, right? Now, to be fair, Genesis through Revelation, it really is all about Jesus. But it's very clearly laid out for you that the headliner of the Gospels is Jesus. The central character of the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit. Same God, different person of the Holy Spirit is being shown forth. So God's power and personality now being manifest in the Spirit. Um, Flip over to John 14, 12 for a moment. John 14, 12 says this, Jesus talking, and he says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. If you write in your Bible or highlight on your phone in your Bible, circle, highlight, or exclamation mark the word greater works. Greater works. How can this possibly be? As a worker... In God's kingdom, you are better off doing greater works precisely because God is going away back to the Father? I mean, honestly, to stop and think about that um, hurts the head a little bit. But that's what Jesus said, and Jesus doesn't lie. Well, if you were being told that in the moment, and you were a disciple of Jesus, wandering around, sort of following him, seeing the things that he said, seeing the ways that he dealt with all the different segments of society, watching the works and signs that he performed, wouldn't that be hard to believe? John 14 to 16, by the way, is a really good primer for the book of Acts. I just re-listened to that on Friday. Just in one sitting, sit and read John 14 to 16. It's all about Jesus saying, Cuddling up disciples saying, I'm about to go away. I'm going to go away and I'm going to go do these other things, but I'm going to send another like me. And it's all about the Holy Spirit. It's about the promise of the Holy Spirit. So it kind of gets us in the framework of what they're thinking. Now Now that we are able to kind of look back on a lot of these things, we can see with the lens of of centuries of time and loads of church history that now that the Holy Spirit is present and active in each and every disciple all around the world, all at the same time, all working toward what Romans says, that he's, he's working all things together for good, it's easier for me now to believe and see what Jesus meant by that. Greater works than these? Jesus was limited to one time in one place because he limited himself to a human body. Jesus was limited by rest, by the need for rest. Jesus was limited by the need for food. Jesus was limited in his transportation. He had to walk most places. So the the work and presence and activity of God was sort of with Jesus. He would leave this town and go to that town, leave that town and go to this town, stay a while here and go back to this place. 
but greater works are happening because all over the planet, from Ethiopia to San Jose to wherever you might be traveling to this year, God's work, God's spirit is at work in his people. So there's like, there's like this tsunami of good news and a tsunami of good works that sort of spills out. And, and the dam that breaks, as it were, is Jesus going away and fulfilling his promise that another like him was going to come. And he wouldn't be in a physical temple that you have to make your way to once a year or once a week. He would be in you and through you working his will. So Jesus comes to usher in this new era and acts uh, sort of lays out, sort of describes what goes on. All right. Uh, by the way, far be it from me to like edit the Bible, okay? So I told you you'd be uncomfortable. You're like, wait a minute, what? Let's talk about the name of the book for a second. Uh, some of your Bibles say the Acts or just Acts. Some of your Bibles have the traditional name. The traditional longer name is the Acts of what? The Apostles. The Acts of the Apostles. Can I propose a better name? The Acts of the Holy Spirit in and through the Apostles. That might be a better name. In fact, I don't even know if I would limit it to the apostles. I would just put believers. Just do everyday Christians. That's what's happening. That's what I I read when I see the book of Acts. It's the acts of the Holy Spirit in and through believers. That's the exciting thing and the terrifying thing that goes on in this book. All right, now that we've edited the Bible, let's move on. Uh, third transition, if you're just watching online and you see just that bit, you got to watch the whole thing. You cannot take that out of context. That will get me fired. There's a third transition that goes on, and it's the evangelism and apologetics that go on. Evangelism is quite simply sharing the good news of Jesus Christ in word and deed. We use the word share around here. That's what it's talking about. Apologetics is giving a defense of the gospel, a reason for the hope that is in you. God's name and plan are always under attack in every generation. It is certainly true and vividly demonstrated here in the Bay Area all the time. Apologetics is just uh, those who are defending the name and mission of God. So what's the transition in Acts around evangelism and apologetics? Here it is. It's from localized and specialized to universal. From localized and specialized to universal. Here's what I mean by that. The old way is that God would raise up specific leaders within the community and he would let them be the mouthpiece or hands and feet of God. Prophet, priest, king. Those are three titles that are really familiar to us Christians because we read our Old Testament. Prophet, priests, and kings. Prophet, priests, and kings were raised up to do or announce his plan. Now, in one-offs, he would raise up a shepherd. He would raise up this person over here. He would use other people. But primarily, prophet, priest, and king is who he would raise up to do his bidding. They would either do or announce God's plan. 
The Gospels talk all about Jesus. Jesus shows up on the scene, and he is our perfect and ultimate prophet, priest, and king. Here's what I mean by that. What does a prophet do? A prophet speaks the word of God to people. That's what Jesus did. Jesus perfectly spoke the word of God to us. He's still speaking to us. We just went back to John because we want to hear what Jesus says about things. Jesus is our perfect priest. What does a priest do? A priest was a mediator between God, holy, and mankind, men, women, children, unholy. The priest was the mediator. Hear me really clearly. The Bible teaches this unmistakably. There is one mediator between sinful man and holy God. It's Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes on the scene, he perfectly fulfills the priesthood role. This is why you do not need to schedule an appointment with me to come and confess your sins to me so I can talk to them about God and then hand out God's forgiveness back through me, a priest, and give it to you. Jesus shatters that. He says there's one mediator between God and man. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's great, great news. How about king? Jesus is our perfect and good ruler and protector. That's what kings were supposed to do. Every king you've ever read about, every king you will ever read about, will fail at one or both of those things miserably. How many kings start off good and end up bad? I don't know either, but it's a lot, right? Even the good kings that we read about in history and in the Bible are... Complex characters, to say the least. They, 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 they fail us. So we don't put our hopes in an earthly kingdom. But Jesus comes and he's the perfect king. So prophet, priest, and king. Here's the result of Jesus fulfilling those things ultimately for us. The result is this, that his life in us makes each of us fit for service in evangelism and apologetics. Quite simply, I would wrap that word into witness. You will be my witnesses here, there, and everywhere. That's it. You will be my witnesses. Who? Every single disciple of Jesus Christ. From the greatest to the least. From the most uneducated to the least. From the most shining star with all the gifting to the one that appears there's nothing going on. Every one of us. So God's work and activity, his good news and his defense, move from a localized thing to universal. It's no longer the specialists who are doing this. It's a little bit like crowdsourcing. Um, Airbnb and um, there's one for cars. I forget what it's called now. What is it? What is it? Turo. Yeah, I I kept hearing Kuro. And I'm like, I don't think that's it, Matt. Uh, But he's usually on point. All right. It basically says, hey, look, if you own a house, if you own a car, um, let's, let's use that. No special, uh, no special permits, although there are some permits. But, but, it, but it's taking it from sort of the select few who are doing this to the masses. And that's what happens. That's the transition that's going on in the book of Acts. Because the Holy Spirit of God now dwells in us, and because we've been sent out by Jesus Christ, we have permission and we have power to go complete what he's called us to do. Now, let me just warn you, there's mixed results then, there's mixed results now when you go do God's bidding. What are the mixed results? There is explosive belief. 
The Lord adding to their number daily in Acts chapter 2. After one sermon, 3,000 are added to the church. Explosive belief. And undecided. People who hear the same passionate message, the same spirit, prompting the same words in the same location. Eh, I don't know. Maybe I'll come back next week. There's also name calling that goes on. Lots of it. Tons of name calling. Name calling sometimes leads to beatings. We're going to read about beatings in the book of Acts. Beatings sometimes go so far that they lead to death. We're only a few chapters in before we read about the first known martyr uh, in the scriptures in the New Testament era, which is Stephen. So mixed results is how it is when you evangelize and stand up for the name of Jesus. Who warned us about this? Our Lord and Savior. Hey, you follow me, you do the things of God, you walk in my ways, they're going to beat you and call you names just like they do to me. In fact, they're actually going to think they're doing the right thing. They're going to be doing, taking the high road and, and touting how good they're doing by beating on you. Acts opens in Jerusalem with the apostles. Okay, back to Acts. We're, we're in Acts now. <laughs> Several minutes in. Told you we'd get there. Acts opens in the city of Jerusalem with the apostles asking when Jesus will establish the kingdom. Follow along with me, Acts chapter 1. Let me skip down to verse 4. We'll cover verses 1 through whatever, 3, next week. Acts chapter 1, 4. And while staying with them, Jesus, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's where the book opens up. Let's go to the end of Acts just for a second. I just want to show you kind of bookends, okay? Remember, 30 years are going to take place between that and this. Acts chapter 28. Flip all the way to the end of the book. It ends in Rome. It's affirming why Jesus gave his answer to spread the good news to the whole world. It's because of this. Jews would continue to reject the gospel which actually opens the door for all non-Jewish people, that is Gentiles, that's what the word Gentile means when you read it in the scriptures, and that they would receive it with joy, okay? So the book book starts in Jerusalem, it ends in Rome. So now we're in Rome, which is sort of the center of the known world back then, by the way. It's made a lot of progress. Verse 23, chapter 28 says this, From morning till evening he, that's Paul, we'll get to him, expounded to them, fellow Jewish people, his countrymen, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus. I don't know about you. I find it wildly encouraging that a guy who wrote much of the New Testament was used in incredible ways, was one of the most bold and articulate, gifted people in all of the known universe. 
was trying to convince people about Jesus. Anyone in here trying to convince someone about Jesus? I hope so. We're supposed to be witnesses. I'm trying to convince people all the time because I love them. I don't do it so I'm right. I do it because I love them. And so here's Paul trying to convince Jewish people. How do you convince Jewish people? He knows because he's Jewish. Listen, both from the law and from Moses and from the prophets. He spoke to Jewish people as a Jewish person saying, let me, let me show you from your own scriptures why this is true. Still a great tactic with Jewish people, by the way, who don't believe Jesus is the coming Messiah. They're waiting for someone else. Verse 24, and some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. See the mixed bag? If you're preaching and people at work, people in your family, people around your neighborhood aren't believing and a book comes out about why the church is failing and why we're doing everything wrong, don't necessarily change. Check in with the Holy Spirit. You might be doing exactly what you're supposed to do. Some disbelieve. Others were convinced. Verse 25, and disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul made one statement. (laughs) What's the one statement? Here it is. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet. There's a localized mouthpiece, the, the prophet Isaiah. Here's what the Holy Spirit said through Isaiah. Go to this people and say... You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart, the Jewish people, has grown dull, and their ears, um, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. That's what Paul said, recounting their own prophet. And guess what? Jewish people got ticked off and left. You're a jerk, Paul. Called him worse than that and did worse things to him. Verse 28. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Who are Gentiles? It's most of us in this room. If you are not of Jewish heritage, it's you. So, begins in Jerusalem, specialized, localized, God blows the door open. I just gave you a span of 30 years to kind of show you where we are now, how this impacts us right now. It sets up everything that follows in the book of Acts, namely the letters to the churches. Why do the the churches form in all these different cities? Because of pain. God was transitioning them from this to worldwide, and he used persecution. In fact, one of the ways we'll understand the book of Acts is if we see it as a cycle of this. God raising up Christian leaders to preach the good news. People believe. Other people oppose, sometimes Jewish, sometimes Gentile. People scatter, and then in those new places, they raise up Christian leaders They preach the message, people believe, churches form, there's opposition, and then they scatter on and on. We're just going to see that cycle over and over in the book of Acts. Okay. Now let me just tell you a little bit about how we're going to digest a 28-chapter book. Roughly, we're going to take it a chapter a week. And that means we're going to not get to a ton of stuff in Acts. That's okay. 
That means you just read it and discuss it as a community group or for personal study. But generally, I'm going to preach this geographically. It is laid out exactly what Jesus' great commission was, which was, um, so sort of, chapter one sort of introduction, but chapters two through seven are in Jerusalem. Chapters eight through 12 are Judea and Samaria, sort of the surrounding larger region. And then chapters 30, 13 to 28 are to the ends of the earth. So we're going to preach it sort of in those three chunks. We may take a break between one of those chunks. We may take a break and teach on something else, but we're going to get through the book of Acts together. Let me just show you. I'm going to tell you most of what this picture means next week. But Church Activate captures what this book is all about. And what I want to do is take you into a little bit of my psyche as to how I think we got to this church name. And by, by saying we, I mean me. <laughs> when I was just a little day vet, um, on Saturday mornings, I would plead with my parents to watch cartoons. Saturday morning cartoons. The only time cartoons were on was Saturday morning. If you missed it, you had to wait a week. And once in a while, my parents would say yes. So I would gather in front of the TV. I would join my super friends, and we would get together. And together, we would go about having adventures and restoring justice to the vulnerable. Really, they did most of the work. I was cheering them on while eating my cereal. That's what I was doing. And some of the lesser-known super friends are the Wonder Twins, Now, I cannot wait for the Wonder Twins live-action movie to come out. But the Wonder Twins, some of you already know why this is being told. But the Wonder Twins had this thing. They were a brother-sister duo, and they wore swanky clothes that always matched. And the sister could take the form, the shape of any animal. And then the brother, what was the brother's skill? Help me out. Any form of water. So he could be any form of water. Now, again, I was born in the 70s. The 70s were a wild time. People were doing trippy things. I'm not sure of the sobriety of people who came up with the Wonder Twins because um, it's pretty out there. But rather than just tell you, let me just, let me just show you this for a second. Watch this short clip. We've got to stay awake, Jaina. Wonder Twin powers activate. Shape of octopus. Form of ice unicycle. Come on, Jaina. It's up to us to stop those aliens. Awesome. Awesome. Now again, think about the circumstances that need to occur for you to be an octopus riding an ice unicycle. I don't know. I don't know what prompts that. I'm not sure how that fights crime or does good, but... But that preaches. That preaches because some of you are like, you poor thing. I know, cartoons have come a long way. I waited all week for that. And it was so satisfying, but it didn't last. So think about, think about the work of God in the world. He uses, he uses really unique skills. Right? You're like, what could an ice unicycle possibly do to help fight crime and restore justice? I don't know, but the author knows, right? And, and what, what could, and, and an octopus riding a unicycle is pretty fantastic too. That's a, that was a good picture. Um, 
Each of those skills was supernaturally given. It was something outside of them. And actually, each of them by themselves, they could never have accomplished what they did by themselves. Once in a while, they, I watched a few of these clips. It's just fun to go back and remember. But he would like be a bucket of water. Well, a bucket of water without your sister being an eagle is nothing. Like a bucket of water just sits there, right? But I think they were putting out a fire or something. And so an eagle without a bucket of water is, is no good either. So what a beautiful picture of the church. God supernaturally gifts us by ourselves, our gifting, our story, our experiences, our supernatural power, as it were, actually doesn't make any sense. The biblical picture of this is, is a body, right? And so again, you take, you take a kneecap by itself and just sit there, it's just gross. I've never seen one just by itself, but it's just kind of weird and gross. It doesn't do a whole lot, but you put it in context with the rest of a body. You're like, that thing's important. Man, I get it. I want to have the band come on up. So I'll get to the rest of, of this. In fact, some of your community questions won't make sense until next week because I have run out of time. But what I will say this is that sweet little fist pump, Wonder Twin Powers, activate. And then the magic happens, right? This idea of church activate, here's the one thing I want you to take away from this week. I intentionally chose people from our church who are very, very everyday and regular. We are all here. This is Turkey Bowl this last year, by the way. Um, And there's only one among us that I know of that has any credentials as to being sort of a superstar football player. There's one guy, AJ, he's being hugged by Lucas. AJ that morning had come from football practice where the very next day he was about to play in a CCS championship game for Santa Teresa. So he had some credentials. He was playing for a championship, but all the rest of us, pretty regular everyday people playing a game, trying to accomplish a goal together. We'll unpack more of that later. But church activate, let me just, let me tell you what you ought to hear when you see that. Church activate is both a prayer and a command to obey. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a request to pray and it's a command to obey. The command to obey is this, you've already been activated, church. We are on the same family lineage of those who have the Holy Spirit in them, the dwelling presence of God and power in in God. We have the power already. Our call is quite simple and quite clear. Finish the mission. There is something you are to be doing. There is something that you are to be cooperating with. The power of God, the acts of the Holy Spirit working in and through us. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for this gathering. God, we're, we're appreciative right now in a unique way here in Northern California that we have a roof over our head and can meet indoors. God, I'm think, thinking of people right now at home who are unable to get here to be physically at church. They would love to be here physically. They physically cannot get here. And um, God, right now, they're, they're doing what we sang earlier. They are singing your praises in the darkest valley. Lord, you meet us right here in this place. You meet us where we watch online. You supersede time. You can meet with us if we watch this or listen to this three weeks from now. God, thank you that your word is ever present help and comfort. 
and inspiration to us. Spirit, we, we thank you. We welcome you. God, you don't, you don't want to flood a space. You want to flood people. And you've done that. And God, we lean in, we listen in. We want ears that hear well and attentively, not those that can barely hear what you're doing. We want eyes that are ever scanning for you and your prompting. You are the most important person in our life. We recommit afresh today, Lord, that we are yours. Evict all other gods. Evict all other loves and allegiances that we hold dear in our heart and mind. We submit to you joyfully. God, we sell everything that we have to gain the treasure that you are today. Thank you. Thank you, God, for being with us and in us. By the power of Jesus.